Hello there and welcome to episode 8 of Nothing Else Mattress, the music podcast that's setting out to try and establish what are the definitive 100 best albums ever made. Uh, to do that, we are first of all reviewing the latest Rolling Stone list uh, of their top 100 albums. We're voting some in and out and once we've done that, we'll get the chance to add some of our own in hopefully and uh, have some, some debate about that. We've reviewed 35 so far. Uh, on the Rolling Stone list, and at the moment there's 20 voted in out of that. Uh, however, I'll come back to that in a second. So first of all, um, some introductions. So uh, from the right, we've got Stephen. Hi, Stephen. How you doing, mate? Good evening, everybody. How you doing? Very good, sir. Very good. good, evening. good evening. Lisa, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Let's see you're feeling better. Um, you. Mr. Patterson, George, how are we? Good, thank you. Nice to see you back again, mate. And uh, we also have a special guest tonight, who is a Scottish singer-songwriter, all things Friends Again and Latterly the Bathers, uh, Chris Thompson. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hiya. Hiya. Nice. Hello. We are not worthy. (laughs) You're not wrong. You're amongst fans, Chris. That is reassuring. You're very reassuring. Um, You know that. So, uh, so we'll crack on in a second with our first uh, album for this evening. However, uh, last week when we voted on John Coltrane, I Love Supreme, there was five of us on the call. George wasn't there, but John uh, John Welsh was on, and uh, we voted three to two not to put it on. However, George had voted uh, offline on it and voted as a yes, and we are giving him the opportunity to potentially... Uh, uses veto. Every member of the panel has a veto for one album on the list that they can either vote in or vote out. Um, and we know George's a big fan, so before we kick off on tonight's, we're giving George the floor to see what he wants to do. Don't know whether he's um, he's his Zoom signs a bit of a giveaway tonight. Um, George Patterson loves to veto. So George, all yours, mate. What are you thinking? I, I love the album. It's as as a, a jazz head. It's it's just one of the go to albums. But am I only getting one veto for this? I can't I can't use it. I, I think you're all fucking philistines for not voting it in. But Excuse the one to you, you as well. You're a philistine. Right? But <laughs> you're not a philistine. I think he's pointing at me, I think, to be fair. I'm I'm pointing at you and I'm pointing at Stephen Stephen. and John Welsh. The three of you can go and... I can't get used to this because when you actually point, I think you're pointing at me. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's getting it. So you're you're not using a veto for this one? I, I can't commit to using a veto because I may have to use it later on especially if any rush <laughs> pops up on the charts and it may well <laughs> do it as you know. it's highly unlikely but there you go mm. Chris just top of your head would you put a Love Supreme in the top 100 ever album uh, I think I would based on some of the things that are in that list mm-hmm. yeah I think I'd happily substitute that one one thing we did say in our yeah. defence George was that we know um, Coltrane plays a big part on Kind of Blue, which is uh, still to come. So Absolutely. I think we're all getting sort of, we're all moving towards that position, hopefully. So cool. Okay, let's stay out then. So we are, we're 20 out of 35. So we've got five again tonight. Let's crack on. First one from the Rolling Stone list is James Brown, Live at the Apollo. So I'll just read the summary of the Rolling Stone review and then we'll crack on. 
This may be the greatest live album ever recorded, from the breathless build-up of the spoken intro through terse, sweat-soaked early hits such as Try Me and Think, into 11 minutes of the raw ballad Lost Someone. It climaxes with a frenzied nine-song medley and ends with Night Train. Live at the Apollo is pure, uncut soul, and it almost didn't happen. James Brown defied King Records boss, boss's opposition to a live album by arranging to record a show himself. On 24th October 1962, the last date of a run at Harlem's Apollo Theatre. His intuition proved correct. Live at the Apollo, the first of four albums Brown recorded there, charted for 66 weeks. So that's Rolling Stone, number 65, Live at the Apollo, released in May 1963. George, what's your take on this one? Uh, I hadn't listened to it for a long time. It's one of those albums that, you know, done the rounds back in the 80s when... We were all into getting into soul for the first time, you know, as, as as teenagers, we were all getting, you know, delving further and further back into the annals of soul. And this was one of the albums that I would have went to time and time again with along with Ike and Tina Turner and Otis Redding and the, the, the those great stacks compilations that I, I mentioned in previous episodes. Uh, so this is the first time I've heard it in a long time, and it's much more subtle. Uh, and less frenetic than I remembered it. Uh, in my mind's eye, I, I remembered it being, you know, a lot more full of life, and it just it didn't feel that way when I listened back to it over the last couple of days. It, it, it struck me when I was listening back to it. It was recorded at a time when James Brown was trying to work out in what direction he wanted to take his sound. Uh, I think the fact that Jackie Wilson and Sam Cooke not only better singers than James Brown, but greater songs probably pushed him into creating his own sound in itself. Uh, that unique hard funk sound that came late 60s, early 70s, you know, it's it's one mm. of the most unique sounds in, in modern music. By all accounts, he's a monstrous human being, but if we had to sack people for the list because they were arseholes, then we'd be lucky to have a top ten. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you, can't, you can't deny the impact that they, yeah. that he and the album had. But for, Six, for 66 me, weeks on the chart. Sure. Uh, yeah. But, you know, uh, Bar a Hell was in the chart for like fucking 800 weeks. And it's, you get, know, on, get on the list, mate. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I would say if I had to choose one, whether it's the greatest live album of all time, it's one of the most influential, 100%. But if I had to choose a, a, a live soul album from the same era, I'd go with Sam Cooke's Live from the Harlem Square in Miami, uh, which was recorded, mm. uh, it was recorded in January 63, so less than three months it after. Was. Yep. Uh, after uh, James Brown's Apollo show, and that is genuinely thrilling. Uh, that would be far higher up my chart than James Brown live at the Apollo, but because of its influence and because of the stratospheric rocket placed under Brown's tightly clad arse, uh, I would say, yeah, probably has to go in, but I mean I'd still go for Sam Cooke. And we can come back to Sam Cooke. So when you say that it's not as frenetic as you remember it being, is that 
the song choices or is it the, the mood or the production? What, what, what do you mean the by that? Thing, the, the whole thing. thing the, the sound of the band, I don't think the, the band they had at the time uh, adapted and developed the, 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 the deeper into the 60s they got. They get tighter and tighter and, and became more of a proper hard funk band. And I found that he was a wee bit stuck in between the you know, going for that sound and trying to appeal to a sort of more cabaret audience. And I felt with the the, the big, long uh, medleys of some mm-hmm. of his biggest hits, it felt quite cabaret-ish. So it's a lot mm-hmm. more cabaret than I remembered it being. Uh, and that was disappointing. I think see, you can see the difference from this. And then two, I think it was two years later, the Tammy show, I don't know if you've heard of the Tammy show, Yep. You ever watch that, the Tammy show, and watch James Brown then, there's a marked difference between Live at the Apollo and what he did at the Tammy show. So that those two years were crucial for him going, right, this is what I'm taking it. it. became less cabaret and more about, you know, the show and the event. So, uh, as I say, it, it's, it's a seminal album. Uh, I can't deny that. Whether I'd put it in the top hundreds, Okay. Well, we'll come yeah, back to, to that Yeah, absolutely. So he recorded it. His record label didn't want to do this, and um, he put his own money up um, to pay for the recording and and the post production and, and what have you. Because I guess I guess he did need that break to try and get his live um, sound or his live act out to a bigger public. And uh, as I say, not only was it billboardy big, but uh, down in the south, it was huge, and that was a market that he wasn't really getting to at that point, and they basically yeah. couldn't, get, couldn't get enough of that. And the other thing about it was that you know we have this chat about live albums and compilations and, and what have you. And I, I guess we'll have this chat and we vote, but it is a sort of pure live album. It was recorded in one night um, mm-hmm. at Harlem, so it's not one of these kind of world tour things that they they pick the best of. So I, I don't know whether that influences the length of it because it's only thirty one yeah, minutes. minutes still, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, although the songs are all quite short, and there's a medley there, but you know, obviously, thirty-one minutes isn't particularly long for anyone's um, kind of live set. So, my guess is they were knocking it out and uh, picking the best bits. Um, so, you're right, George, that there are kind of other other things in there to take on board, but um, it's still quite a powerful statement in itself, I think. Um, Lisa, Stephen, what's your your take? Lisa, me, me, um. <laughs> There's not much I can add to what James George Brown. Just... You a James Brown fan? Um, yeah, um, like George said, we were really getting into that in the 80s, you know, we were out clubbing and, and this the older music was really playing a lot in the clubs and, you know, it was it was really popular. I haven't actually listened to this album, um, but I'm wondering, Mr. Welsh isn't here, but is this one of these ones he would just say, absolutely not, because it's a live album? Well, he has a vote on it, um, so he has voted virtually. Did you not mention I'll, that? I'll share that. I'll share that with you once we've all had a. Or, a view or am, on I, am I talking rubbish? Is it was it just compilations? No, no, no. He has a view on live as well. Compilations. Do you know what's funny? It's, a, it's something I've been I'm thinking about and having a discussion about. And um, I mean, I enjoyed the album. Um, I don't think it packed as much punch as I was expecting it to. Um, okay. But, this thing about should it be in the top 100 albums? Absolutely. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, interesting comparison. So um, 
just, I'm just going back to a conversation I had. And if you think about classical music compared to um, popular music, mm-hmm. so classical music obviously um, has been written traditionally for paper, right? Mm-hmm. And you get one piece of classical music and that you could buy the same one time and time again with different um, musicians, um, different audiences. So if, say if you take Rachmaninoff's piano concerto, you could have Horowitz playing it, you could have Rachmaninoff playing it, and they'll be completely different, but it's the same music. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that informs this or not. I don't know. Just, it's just an interesting conversation about whether one thinks that you know a, a live album should be a, a sort of a, like a popular album should be um, in the top hundred. Yeah, um, I, 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 I don't particularly hold a view on that myself because although I'm comparing them, I'm not saying it's it's right or wrong. Um, I'm just not sure this one would be in my top hundred. Okay, um, Stephen. Uh, at least I just stole the words out of my mouth. Um, I came back to this, I said last week. Yeah, I, I love it. It's great. I think it sounds, of course, it sounds dated, but I think I think it sounds a bit tinny. I think it sounds a bit sounds a bit weak. And and as Lisa says, what the top one hundred albums of all time? Nah, not a chance. So it's interesting then because he, I think I mentioned in the blurb there, he did record other live albums quite a lot actually and I think he went back to the Apollo two or three, two times, or three times. Right? Yeah, yeah. And obviously in yeah. 62, 63 he hadn't quite reached his commercial peak so I think around 65 um, he, also did, he also didn't have a kit You've got to think about how, how crap yeah. he sounded those days. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Wow. But as, as George just said there is a, there's a Sam Cooke record from pretty much the same time down in Florida yeah. that, that blow you away to be honest. Absolutely. Is that, is that a better production? Just purely better production? I don't know. It's, it's a smaller club as well. Mm. It's, it's a, a club called the Harlem Square Club. But Miami, could, yeah. It's, you've, have you heard it, Brian? I have. I, I actually had it on the other day, George. Um, somebody oh, recommended it to me yonks ago, and um, I thought about it when I thought about the um, the, the James Brown record. And I mean, I, I really like the James Brown record, but uh, the Sam Cooke thing's fantastic. Absolutely. It's night, night and day. It's, yeah. it's a guy who just, who was, Easily capable of being, you know, the housewife's favourite, just turn up uh, in a way that I'd never heard before. So um, it, it added another dimension to Sam Cooke's uh, um, appeal to yeah. me. I mean, of course, there's nothing to stop us voting Sam Cooke on either. I don't know if that's what we, we choose to do, but yeah. um, but I, I, think it's, I think it's quite a fair comparison um, whether this one's valid. I was just going to see on the live album... But- Sorry, Stephen. So, sorry, I watched write us down. The Sam Cooke album again is called what? Live at the Harlem Square in Miami. Brilliant. So it's, it's confusing because it's it's called the Harlem Square, but it's not in New York. So ah, yeah, I know. Harlem 25th Street is, you know, it's Miami. And I was going to say that the the, album. the, the Apollo follow-up recordings, which obviously aren't on the list, they're, they're very good records. Yeah. And they've also got arguably better songs on them. Because you've yeah. got Papa's got a bag, I, I feel good, you know, uh, my, that's a man's world. He's, that stuff is, is in his repertoire in the, the late 60s, whereas yeah. at the moment it isn't really. So I think it's quite interesting that they've put this in for what I think is the kind of rawness of 
the record, you know, sort of making a statement. And obviously, he subsequently became, you know, bigger and more popular as he, as he went through 60s into the 70s. But um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Chris, tell us what you think about uh, Yeah, I agree with a lot of what I've heard. Um, yeah, James Brown, massive hearing it in the clubs in the 80s. It, you know, it was, a, it, it was fantastic. Um, I did go and see James Brown in Glasgow. I don't, don't know if anyone else did when he came and played no. at the Armadillo. Uh, but by that point, when we use the word cabaret, it, it's sort of a, a bit of a a super cartoon version of what one imagines was the classic period, late 60s. You know, he was, he was going through the motions a little bit. I think it would be fair to say. Um, but what motions, you know, they were... When was um, that, Chris? Uh, that would be about late 99, I think, 98, 99. Okay. Uh, it was the very early days of the Armadillo, so like not a great venue either, I don't think, for atmosphere. But yeah. I mean, he certainly put on a show when he was still on the not. stage. What's that? But still not. Yeah. Still not, no. Still not, exactly. Um, interesting points about Sam Cooke, and I'd, I'd love to, I think I actually have heard... I have heard live Sam Cooke stuff in the past and absolutely loved them. I'm not sure if it was the same album, but I'll check that out. Check it out. Yeah. And I'm just looking at the list. A quick glance down. I don't think anything by Sam Cooke is on the 100, is it? Not um, at the moment, no. We do, uh, get, in, we do get another James Brown record on the 100. Do we? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. Maybe Sam Cooke. I, I, do, I actually prefer Sam Cooke as a singer. Um, it was, I mean, I love, I love them both, but Sam Cooke edges it for me. Um, and maybe the sheer the sheer amount of songs that I love within uh, Sam Cooke's repertoire as well. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering, I've kind of gone down the route of having several Sam Cooke uh, compilations. So I'm not sure if he's actually got a classic album as, as yeah, such. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I'd probably agree with that. Is it a series but, of great singles? Something yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. A, it was a great singles act. Mm. You know, that's that's yeah. You know. So maybe just on the cusp of the great album era or something. You know, that where single was more important. But uh, looking at this James Brown album, I'm, I think uh, I would probably be persuadable that it should remain in this hundred, uh, almost as a, a representation of James Brown. But you say there's another one in there. What is the other one? It's a, a compilation. Is it co- ah, so oh, compilations? Yeah. Are, oh, ah, oh, here we ah, go. Here we oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> is that a controversy? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, a couple of details. I loved. It. I did love the uh, the the screaming. It was almost that. I love the atmosphere of that. I mean, that that was absolutely superb. And this, and I love the wee story that the master tape was lost for such a long time. Yeah. And the guy stumbling across it in the vault. I mean, that that's a moment of magic. To sort of looking for something else, and he said, oh, "Hang on, James Brown at the Apollo when the master <laughs> tapes have been lost for like I think this is in the early early two thousands or something." It was I mean, that yeah. I kind of get a bit of a charge just imagining being there in that moment. Wow. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot of positive things about it. Better things came came up later mm. as well in terms of recordings, but as I say, persuadable that it, it should be in the hundred. Okay. I mean, he was a he was a he was a sixties icon. I think seventies onwards, his his mm. life and his career took a bit of a turn, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. Um, he made a few dodgy choices. He was um, hanging about with Nixon and people like that. Um, yeah. Which I guess is yeah. questionable, especially if you're Trump. if you're if you're black yeah. and from that you know that that kind yeah. of background that probably didn't land that well with his core audience. I guess. Um, yes. But his sixty stuff is um, 
is you know fantastic and it is part of the folklore i noticed that when they started the rock and roll hall of fame the the first batch of inductees as you can imagine were the people who sort of started um rock and roll popular music soul as we know it and um obviously he was in there and yeah. the first 10 uh chuck berry sam cook buddy holly elvis jerry lee lewis i mean all, all the guys you'd expect to be in there and yeah. he he sort yeah. of took his place there through merit i think yeah um so you know maybe that that gives us a wee bit of kind of context about him sure. um there's not much more to, to add really as i say rolling stone sort of reckoned it was the best album ever well you know we're doing our own list aren't we so we've all we all like mm. an opinion um it's interesting i went and had a quick look at that list i'd never saw it before and um, so mm. that was number one number two in fact you'll never i was gonna let you guess you never guess in a million years number two is the almond brothers and wow. um, live at Phil East. Live Phil East, yeah, it's a great album. Yeah, I know it's George, really but I, I wouldn't fall my sword for it being top three, no, you know. It's really, it's a really good album, but it's, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have. Yeah, number number three, scene. maybe number three is maybe more worth thing. Yeah, that's uh, Johnny Cash at Folsom. So that's you know sort of proper iconic live album, of, you know, of its time and what have you. So, but yeah, so I think you know live albums are a difficult one to call. Um, yeah. Whether they should or shouldn't be be on the the album is uh, on the list as Lisa said. That's I guess that's for us to vote. So, uh, mm-hmm. Twitter were fifty nine percent no on this one, mm-hmm. um, which is a wee bit surprised about. I thought it might be a bit of a sweet I'm spot. Surprised? I'm surprised with that. Yeah, but they were, um, and obviously it did you know kick on. So guys mm-hmm. like uh, Sly Funkadelic, um, Ed and Star, of course Jackson. Jackson adored them. Um, Prince, of course, you know, the, so you, you can see what, what came out of yeah. that. Um, I, I read quite a nice interview with, um, what's his name? Is it Wayne Kramer from MC5? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. This album begat the um, Kick Out The Jams. Kick Out The Jams, yeah. 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 That different sound, of course, but he says that oh. kind of energy and intensity and stuff, that was everything they were trying to do. Um, and that's what was in the clubs around Detroit at the time. So, um, yeah, quite sort of powerful statement, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's, um, as we have to do, let's have a vote. Uh, so we will go guest first. Chris, what we're thinking, mate? In or out? Uh, in. In. Okay. Uh, Stephen. Absolutely in. Absolutely in. Uh, Lisa. <laughs> I'm going to see out. Okay. I've- I would, I would, his fashion sense at that point was a lot better than any. <laughs> um, but I get that's what that's to do with his background, and he wanted to prove how well he'd done, and the bling came out. But no, I'm going to say out. Okay, no bother. I, I suffer from imposter syndrome every time I make a decision, so I've just got to go with it. Okay, um, George. Um, as an album, it's it's not great, but there's enough stuff there to make me think that. It's to make me accept that it is, as I said before, a seminal album, a seminal piece of work. So for that, I would have to say, yeah, I would have to go in. Uh, but I wouldn't think it was one of the greatest of all time, but I'll put them in. Okay, thank you. Um, I would also put it in, but I think more for the posterity of what it means and what happened after it, rather than for the 31 minutes that that you're sitting listening to i think you're right jaws are probably arguably better live soul albums kind of out there um yeah, just, just picking up um, 
Picking up John's vote, so John said, uh, James Brown, not having a live album, it's another nonsense. <laughs> Help you. Yeah. Uh, so, but he is outvoted on this one with 42, so Mr. Brown uh, goes on the list. Um, he's, got a, he's got a veto, Brian. Uh, he, he has got a veto as well, of course. Yeah, we'll put this one coming. I don't think he'll use it for this one. I don't Sorry. think he will. I think he's making a point, I think. Um Cool. So it's in, and the only other live album I had to call out, and George is absolutely right about Sam Cooke, but another one, if you haven't heard it, is um, Jerry Lee Lewis, live at the Star Club, Hamburg. Oh, yeah. um, so he actually, he went to Hamburg to kind of find himself, you know, that kind of Beatles journey he did after yeah. being famous. And mm -hmm. um, he then heard the James Brown and the Sam Cooke records and realised that actually what he did was live. And he went over there and smashed it for... Wow. I was there a few months and played, played like loads of sets and stuff. And it's great. Same thing, 30 minutes. It's absolutely brilliant. So, um, Excellent. Worth a listen. Um, cool. That was James Brown. Right. Uh, where are we? 64. 64 is uh, Outcast um, Stanconia. So, Rolling Stone. Uh, there's a thrilling sprawl on Outcast's fourth album, A Sense of Limitless Possibilities Within the Boundaries of Hip Hop. Big Boy and Andre 3000 rap about baby mama's mama's the perils of sex and alcohol, feeling excluded from the American dream, good manners, and the trauma of teen pregnancy. The music is sexy, bold, and hard, mixing on B.O.B., distorted metal guitar, a gospel choir, and a jittery techno beat. Big Boy says Outcast is, quote, cooler than a polar bear's toenails, unquote, <laughs> as that they are just lyrically twerking and tells the police, officer, get off us, sir. We call it slumadelic, said Andre 3000. So that's the Rolling Stone summary for Outcast. The Konya was released in October 2000. Chris, I'm going to be brave and ask you, mate, oh, to lead on this God. one. I know. Oh, no. oh, I'm no. feeling this is your sweet spot, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of this? Um, well, I come from a position of fairly deep ignorance about this genre generally. Um, I do... Probably, to be absolutely honest, the only outcast thing I was aware of is was the massive hit single. Um, hey, yeah. Is it Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Which, I yeah, that, Don't worry. That's, um, that's, that's great. I, I've always, so I, I've checked this out. Um, I must admit, I was quite dejected when I saw it run to an hour and 13 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I'll be, I'll be honest, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but, um, okay. I, I didn't dislike, you know, I, I liked it. I didn't, you know, it's no really strong feelings. I think it would, something you'd have to really live with and uh, get get into the, you know, the quite dense lyrical content and everything, get into that world. So very difficult to, to just dip in from a cold start. Um, and, and sort of hip hop, stroke rap, um, yeah. any of that genre would that tick your box at all? Is it any uh, stuff in that you'd listen to? I, or? I like things in passing, but I, it's right. never really been something I, I've I've listened to in any any depth. I've I've got very much a passing knowledge of the whole the whole thing. It's definitely not my go to music, but yeah. So and I, if you went back the way, then if you went back to say I don't know Prince, for example, yeah, would you, would you be getting closer to liking? <clears throat> yeah, Prince? yeah, right. I was much more aware of Prince. Yeah, right. and again from the eighties club scene when. 1999 came on in, in 1980 yeah. when was it 82 or something like yeah. that came out uh that was quite a yeah that was a revelation 
because these guys are you know very much a derivative of some of what he had done and you right. know, paid that, a lot, yeah. a lot of homage and stuff to him um because obviously okay. by by 2000 prince was i mean he wasn't off the grid but he, he yeah. certainly wasn't punching his weight uh-huh like well, that's interesting in I, I would that's that's an interesting pointer if i go back and listen again to to try and spot the through lines there and things i mean yeah it's sort of it it didn't really do do much for me either way you know i just it sounded perfectly good I, I you know wouldn't knock it i just just kind of left me a little bit cold as as some of this stuff does okay and and 73 minutes is a fair point i think we'll, we'll yeah we, we all yeah, talk about bit. album lengths and uh, uh -huh. it, it appears yeah. to be something that's became more prominent through sort of CDs and streaming. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, the classic album, five songs either side or whatever, you know, there was a, a yeah. sort of finality to, to doing that. Um, there's quite a lot of that going on. So this was a four studio album. Um, they were pretty big by this point. Um, so they've actually mm -hmm. got another album in the top 100. So I noticed that, yeah. In the top yeah. 100. Yeah. And I think there's only, I don't know, five or six artists, I think, at the moment that have that. So... You know, whatever we think, there's something going on from the kind of critics perspective that, that obviously the the, the real yeah. we've got another one to go, guys, is my, my heads up on that one. Oh god. Um they are kind of still going, um, mm. but they haven't done a record now for the thick end of we've 16, 17 years now. So mm -hmm. um sort of living more on um, solo stuff and what have you. So mm -hmm. so not not quite your thing, Chris, I guess is the not the my thing. Uh, I Am I allowed to give a verdict at this stage, or is that? It's entirely up to you. You well, can. Well, I would say can... probably no surprise. I would say it wouldn't make any hundred. I would, you know, and that's probably just uh, my lack of knowledge or lack of being steeped in it. But okay. it doesn't sound like a hundred best of all time to me on a casual listen. That's why you're on, mate. Um, for Thank your you. opinion, uh, okay. who wants to follow Chris? Me. Um... <laughs> Go on then, <laughs> uh, uh, Chris. You're not alone. Mm. Um, I think it's got funky bits. I think it's got fantastic bits. Mm. Some of it I love, but again, mm. at one thirty, what was it? What, an hour and thirteen. One, so, yeah. man, oh man, that's just too much. Yeah, you know that. To, 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 to me, that's a that's a, a a double album and a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that, but, but is, that's okay. It's okay if it's packed yeah. jam full of songs, right? You, you know, I but, guess but, the, the white album's eighty odd minutes long, right? Yeah, you know, so that oh, right. another... the white album, the outcast. No, <laughs> no, but you know, you can't have great records that have long playing time, they're not mutually yeah, exclusive. Not. No, no. which is why uh, Chris is great, right? In here, ah, uh, yes, it has its high points, it's fantastic mm. in parts, and mm. I find myself bopping along a little bit. Sorry, mm. you don't want to see that, but it's 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 far too long. It's far too convoluted, and there's no way in this earth it's one of the top 100 albums of all time. Okay, oh, thanks for that. That's so, a relief. <laughs> when when uh, these guys weren't making their, their album albums, including this one, they've done quite a lot of collaborations and stuff. I thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. One of the collaborations that Andre 3000's done is with Frank Ocean. I've heard that. And uh, he's actually on the Blonde album that we voted in. Uh, few few episodes ago. So, and again, we were, I think we were quite surprised about Frank Ocean. We thought, you know, we weren't sure about him. We got quite impressed by when we listened to the record. And guys like Andre 3000 were on there doing stuff as well. So you can see there's a lot of um, links going through this. Um, this Fine, there's, there's, there's also going to be crossovers. You know, yeah. we, can, we can't catch we can't catch them all. 
No, no, you know? get that. Yeah. Absolutely get that, mate. Yeah. But um, um, so, Lisa, what are you thinking? Well, 2000, that kind of, it's a bit of a kind of grey area for me because I had three very, very young children at that point and I feel as if I had slipped away from music quite a bit. Just yep. no time and I wasn't really aware of, of what was going on, what was coming out, what was new. Um, I do remember the single from this album, Miss Jackson, about mm-hmm. the... Yeah. the um, very big as well. Big, mama's, big, big. Baby yeah. mama's mama's. Is that is that the one? Have I got Baby's that? Baby's right? mama's mama's. Yep. Mama's mama's. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. And that was um for a a rap album that that was quite commercial mm-hmm. and and did really well. Um and kind of stands out, I think, oh. in the album. It was I, I I've only listened to it about twice and possibly like, the first time. Like Chris, I didn't listen the whole way through because I think I maybe wandered off to do a wee bit of ironing or something. Um, <laughs> some someone struck me the same and this is this is this isn't very deep at all, but it it, it struck me that there, there was a what's this the the track um is it we love we love them hoes yeah. I forgot it here. I yeah. guess it yeah. um Instantly reminded me of Eminem. If if you listen to the music and also some of the the way they rap is just, just sounds so much like Eminem and it's just something that came into my head. I could be completely wrong, but um, just that kind of pattern in the music just sounds sounded really similar to Slim Shady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, I had a wee, I just had a wee quick check and I I, I saw that in that year. Um, so Eminem's album came out in May and theirs came out in October and I just wondered if even a slight possibility, tiny bit of an influence. I do not know. Uh, every but chance, that, I'm that, sure. That, every chance. That's a lot from me. But I mean, I, 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 I did, I did, I did enjoy it. I, I, I do think it's a good, uh, you know, I, I quite enjoyed listening to it, especially the second time around because it was becoming a wee bit more familiar. Um, but I feel as if, Every week we've just there's so much rap and hip hop mm. on for for a top one hundred and for one genre to have such a huge part. I, I, sure. I, I, I'm just not I'm not sure. Maybe it's to do with the um when this chart was you know this what is it chart was made up. Yeah, twenty twenty. I I don't think so. I think um. I mean, I love this, stuff. this is twenty years old by then. I said, so. I said, I said episode one. It's very American. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was about to say that actually, and it's quite yeah. American. So maybe those kind of influences are maybe more so in this than in what are, would be top one hundred in our minds. Yeah, but we voted NWA on. I can't think of anything more American than than that. Well, absolutely. I'm not you know, saying so they're, they're, not, they're not exclusive, are they? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that. What, but what I'm saying is, is that there seems to be every week we seem to be reviewing quite a lot of that already, um, which, is pro- which isn't a problem for me because I like it. I, I love it. You know, I'm, I'm just it was just a. I'm just having a look at next next week's the the next episode's list there, and uh, there isn't any rap on it, so or hip hop for that matter. So you'd be pleased to know when you get you back on, Chris. When you get a clean rap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Come on to George in a second. So talked about success, uh, number two billboards uh, when it came out first week. Uh, 
5,000 copies first week. Uh, Jay-Z was number one, U2 were number three. So, you know, I kind of came in with the big boys a little bit. Uh, four times platinum by 2003. Uh, three fairly big hit singles. Uh, number 10 in the UK as well, to be fair. It was fairly well recognised. This is before Hey Ya, which obviously did sort of make them a bit over here more than America. Um, only place it didn't do particularly well was Australia. So Australia was only number 33 in Australia, the album. So... Not sure what that tells us about men at work and all the other guys down there. And a couple of other things, and then we'll come to George. Uh, your man, I think Andre 3000, I think, had a relationship with Eric Abadu, uh, who is on the record uh, on um, Humble Mumble. So we reviewed one of her records uh, back a bit now. I think David Ross might have been on for that one. Um, so again, quite interesting as well. Um, I've actually listened to her album again. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too, actually, yeah. We had that chat, didn't we, about... That was the first... And before George comes on, can I just say what I was saying about rap was not a complaint. Okay. In any way, just an observation. Observations are good. And so are complaints. George? Uh, it's... I, I've, I've been mispronouncing this album for years. I, I've been calling it Stankaconia. <laughs> and I, I, it's, it's only I've been calling it that for twenty years now, twenty odd years. Wow! I, I genuinely thought it was called Stankaconia, and I'd, I'd heard the thing. Yeah. So uh, I felt a bit foolish. <laughs> going, no, it's just Stankaconia. It's it's not Stankaconia. Anyway, the, the idea it was a kind of place, isn't it? The idea is it's yeah, a bit it's of a, a, kind of... a funky kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. Go we'll do anything you want, I, be I, what you want I to be. That, yeah. I get yeah. that now. <laughs> <laughs> for years, I was like, Stankaconia. Thank, like Stankaconia. Yeah, it's like I'm a sure brother's territory or something. Yeah, you know? I think he, sure he played for Rest of Bucharest or someone, didn't yeah, he? Stankaconia. In my mind, that's what I had. <laughs> the, the first thing I heard from Outcast was Miss Jackson mm. back when it came out, and I really liked it. Mm. And I found it. When Outcast are really good as they are on things like uh, I'll Call Before I Come, So Fresh, So Clean, Bombs Over Baghdad, and obviously Hey Ya, which came later, I think they're really, really good when, they're, when they are good. That said, I didn't enjoy the album as much as I remember liking it back when I first heard it uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, it just felt I wouldn't say dated, but it just didn't it, it didn't have the same snap that I was hoping it would have that the other tracks had. The the ones that I did like had this the sort of Sly Stone kind of vibe to them. Mm. Obviously, Sly, there's a, a real influence of Sly in a family stone with you know the, the album cover with the, the, the flag and stuff. Mm -hmm. Very much like there's a riot going on. Uh, so you can see that they're, they're clearly wearing their influences uh, front and center. But and there's an actual flag as well. Um, yeah, so flag. they actually they got it made and it, it's uh, they got flag. their studio, haven't they? So they, the flag takes yeah. takes a wall up in their studio. Yeah. Um, well, so it's a sort of permanent thing. As much as I didn't like it, it did I can definitely draw a line from this to a lot of the the sort of uh, the the kind of lo-fi hip hop uh, soul. Um, that, that is out at the moment the kind of things that my, my boy listens to like Steve Lacey and Tyler the Creator so there's it's definitely been a big influence on those guys and 
But I, I, I just felt in isolation, the album didn't really cut it for me. There was not enough in the 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 hour and a bit to keep me interested, despite me liking a couple of the tunes in it. It just there was just not enough in it for me. Okay. As I say, when they're, when they're good, they're really good, but in this album, they're not good enough. So as you, we've had this chat before, so is your feeling that if this was a 40, 45 minute album? Yeah, they, they I, I'm already, I edited this to about 40 minutes, eight songs, 40 minutes, and I think you could have made this an absolute belter of an album. Mm. There's too much, there was too much filler in this one for me to class it as a top 100 album. Okay. Um, we've had that chat before. Huh? My Twitter was uh, 93% no, wow. which has been a bit of a thread, to be fair. Um, we've voted a few in. The um, uh, the guys who, who chat to us haven't been so keen on. Um, yeah, but that's obviously yeah. sort of fairly strong. Um, no. Yeah, yeah, I don't have much yeah. to add, really. I think, as I say, it was very successful. They are massively influential. I think they continue to be uh, around sort of production and stuff like that. It won Grammys. Um one other stuff and a couple of things just to finish uh, i did read that when they're recording the album they purposely didn't listen to any uh, hip-hop or any of their sort of peer group at the time back to that stankonia thing um george they wanted to just go out there and listen to what they, what they want to listen to whatever that was yeah. um which i thought was kind of quite brave and they were fairly big fans of rave at the time so they were trying to bring some of that kind of sound and some of the songs are quite up aren't they? some of the sort yeah. of BPMs and stuff are, are pretty far out, pretty heavy. Yeah. So, but the ones that I liked best of this in this album were the were the sort of the more melodic cuts uh, and the more uh, you know. There's three or four of them on the album that I was like, yeah, lyrically adept, um, melodic. They were the ones that that I, I related to rather than the the straight out hip hop ones. So, okay. Well, that's interesting because we've got another album to review from them um, relatively quickly, which I think is probably a, a, a bit more of that that kind of sound and um, yeah. yeah and rhythm. Um, but we can we can get to that, right? Okay then. So, um, Stephen, what are we taking, mate? Are we in or out for Outcast? Far too long. Out. Outcast or out? Out. Chris. Out, yeah. Definitely out. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Definitely. Outcast are out, out. Yeah, it's out, out. Uh, Lisa. Oh, I'm gonna cast them out. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> I, I don't We're care. They, they they've definitely been listening to Eminem. Definitely, you listen. You listen yeah. to that. No, I'm joking. But um, just just out of interest, come back to me on this. Listen to that song and then listen to Slim Shady. Honestly, it's just so similar. Yeah. Coincidence, clearly, but um, it's it just my head when I when I heard it. Mm. That happens, George. Uh, out for me. Okay, uh, I'm going to vote it in, which is incidental because I don't have enough votes. But um, because I, th I think they probably deserve to have one on the list. Albeit, I do take your point, Lisa, about the the kind of American influence and what have you. But you know, hip hop and modern hip hop and southern hip hop. These but guys that's, again. That's not the reason I'm voting it out, though. No, no, uh, that, but. but... These guys are quite important because they came from kind of REM territory. They were down in Atlanta way. And um, again, that really wasn't a thing at the time. They they almost kind of created something that wasn't there before. And I'm always quite impressed when people start from nothing and all of a sudden they kind of, um, they managed to create a, a sound and, um, and be successful. 
Uh, so I would vote it in, and surprisingly, um, John voted in as well. Okay. Uh, but it does still take it out, so it's four votes out. Um, so for the moment, outcast aren't on the list. And my PS to that before we move on, I uh, didn't want to influence you um, at all, Lisa, was that uh, latterly Big Boy has just uh, recorded and produced a collaboration with Kate Bush, which is just, uh, just about to be released. So There's, there's one thing I'd like to add to that. So. I'd, like, I'd like to add something to that. Uh, Go on then. Big Boy, it was on the Hey Ya single. All right, all right, all right. I had the single, you know, uh, but on the the single they did a they did a version of uh, my favorite things, you know. But they did the John Coltrane version. They did a version of John Coltrane <laughs> version of my favorite things, <laughs> and I was like, "This is fucking great!" It was, it, it, it was like heavy dance beat, like two hundred beats per minute stuff. Right. It was. I found it really interesting. So that's how we link to. John Coltrane. Good. I'm glad you got that in there, George. Well done, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So the outcast are out. Um, out, out. So where we going now? We've got 63. 63 is um, Steely Dan in Asia. hope I pronounced that right. I'm not too sure about that. Asia. Asia, Asia right. The, the continent. Like Asia, right. Okay. The continent, yeah. If you were an audiophile in the late 70s, you owned Asia. Steely Dan's sixth album is easy on the ears, thanks to both its meticulous production and its songs. This was Walter Becker and Donald Fagan's no-holds-barred stab at becoming a huge mainstream jazz pop success. And sure enough, thanks to sweet, slippery tracks like Deacon Blues and Peg, this collegiate band with a name plucked from a William, Brothers, a William Burroughs novel and a songbook full of smart, cynical lyrics became bona fide superstars, shooting to the top five and selling platinum. And yes, Asia even won a Grammy for Best Engineered Album. So that's Asia uh, from Steely Dan, released in September 77, at the height of punk in the UK. Uh, so it doesn't get much um, much braver than that. So who wants to lead first with um, with Steely Dan? Who hasn't led yet? Oh, probably me. Come on, Steely Dan, Asia. Tell us, Lisa. <laughs> you love it, don't you? Um, I, I, I do like it. I do actually, and um, I even knew a couple of the uh, the tracks on it. Although I think the title track is pretty long, isn't it? It's about eight, eight minutes. Nine minutes or something. Yeah. It's yep. about just under eight, just like me and my just under seven foot. Um, sorry, people watching this wouldn't um, understand that. No. Uh, <laughs> well, it's certainly the ultimate in easy listening. Isn't it? I mean, it's incredibly um, smooth, incredibly polished, um, brilliant production. Um, enjoyed the lyrics as well. It's 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 not something that I would probably listen to very often, though. It it, it it's very much um, background music for me. But it, it mm -hmm. kind of gives that feel of sort of nineteen seventies New York, that kind of vibe. Um, I, I do like it, um, and funny we're, we're pulling from other um, weeks, but um, I noticed that this this one is um, Asia itself is like a, a mini suite mm -hmm. in the in the way that sort of jazz jazz mm -hmm. kind of jazzy, isn't it? A sort of jazz yeah, mini suite, yeah, yeah. In, in the way that um, Kate Bush's "The Ninth Wave" is mm -hmm. a single suite in itself. So 
And and joining all that up, the big big John Coltrane fans, of course, um, Steely Dan. You, you know they love all that that classic and jazz stuff. So you can see all those those elements all coming in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know they, I think this was a sixth studio album, um, and they've been sort of getting you know progressively more popular. I think Can't Buy a Thrill was the first one. Pretzel Logic was pretty popular, I think. But by this time, I think they're just a studio band. Really, they've stopped um, stopped doing live stuff. Um, certainly for for the foreseeable future. So it's quite a big sort of brave thing just to do their own record and take their time on it. Particularly not in America, but over here, of course, the landscape was changing fairly quickly at that time when um, when when that stuff came out. So, so Lisa, from your end, would you would you have been sorry? Would you have been listening to you know any any point on a Friday night when you guys do your vinyl night is Steely Dan on the turntable? So I was going to say I'm kind of a wee bit annoyed at myself. It's just one of those things, but I, I do. heavily influenced from my parents' record collection. And I do remember seeing Steely Dan. Mm. And and I bet you it's still there. I could go and fish it out. I couldn't tell you which one it was because maybe they weren't playing it as much as they were playing the other things that would end up influencing me more. So I kind of feel a wee bit naive about Steely Dan. But yeah, I I think now, um, I, I, I think I'm... I'm maybe going to um, investigate a wee bit more. Okay, well, maybe come back to that I, then. I've probably got a Steely Dan album in there and don't know it. In fact, that'd be quite interesting. I'm going to check. They they, they had a sort of few hits and stuff, and uh, not necessarily, they had some hits on this record, but, you know, before that, really, really in the years and stuff were all, you know, fairly popular for them. Um, and they did tour it out and, you know, got pretty, pretty big, to be fair. But as I say, they made this decision to... To kind of downsize. So at this point, there are really only two people in the band, and then there's a whole bunch of 40, 40 musicians involved in making this album. Yeah, I know. So, um, you know, they had a bit of help there, so you would hope it would be good. They did. Okay, yeah. uh, that's interesting. Um, Chris, tell me about what's everyone says they're kind of they're a musicians, musicians band, you know, the uh, musicians and all that indeed. stuff. So, what's your, what's your thoughts on Asia? Uh, indeed, you're absolutely right. A musicians band. Um, this is a very conflicting, difficult one for me to to assess uh, because I've a lot of music friends from the Scottish scene who who worship is a strong word, but it maybe is the right word. Who mm. have you know really think Steely Dan are fantastic. Do you want to, do you uh, want to name anyone? Uh, well, I could name you know former bandmates like James Grant, Paul McGee, all these guys that right. they could have worship Steely Dan. Then you think of people like Deacon Blue, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, you know people like Davy Scott from the Pearl Fishers that they've yeah very big uh, influence, big, big big influence. Danny Wilson, I could hear that on the record. Um, and I would have to say, just as a snapshot in passing, I'd have to say I've. I found um, Gary Clark from Danny Wilson's voice. I would immediately associate that as being a more human, sort of appealing voice to me, uh, which is, goes to the core of my take on Steely Dan. I, the elements are all there. I, and listen to it, I, I did enjoy it more in the second listen through. Mm. Um, it's I, I love some of the guitar playing. I saw the lyrics were, were good. The, the drums are fantastic. It's all there. But the the elements, they don't, I don't know, it, it never really sucks me in and connects with me in a, in, in a kind of emotional level. Okay. Uh, it leaves me cold. Uh, I remember buying the Nightfly back in uh, probably oh. the early, you know, it's, again, oh, with this album, 
Well, it I couldn't ever get through the sort of the sheen of the thing, the sheer polish of it. And I you know, I, I don't I don't want to, to I didn't dislike it. I just it just didn't get through to me. And and I was talking to my friend, another uh, musician, Callum. Uh I said, What what's your take on Steely Dan? And he he sort of said slightly sheepishly I really did add a sneaking admiration for them, even though we were all into Bowie and Iggy and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So I'm trying to strip back my own potential prejudices because you're right, 77, that was kind of a real miracle year for me of discovering music. You know, I'm 15, mm-hmm. it's Bowie, Iggy, punks exploding into the, starting to buy the music papers. So they were really anathema to me as a, a sort of... Um, a very very polished American thing, as mm-hmm. opposed to Talking Heads, television, again the Stooges, all the things that I was loving. So would coming through America. So, so on just, that point, on that point, then would would Fleetwood Mac be in a, an anathema to you as well at that uh, point? Because they were seventy seven for rumours, weren't they? Um, the big end with Fleetwood Mac, of course, was that all the girls that you were trying to get friendly <laughs> with had suddenly had had rumours. So it was like yeah, I kind of trained myself to to like rumors, and I think that, to be fair to myself, I think it, it is a more accessible album because it doesn't. It's got more of that sort of organic, uh, kind of slightly raw emotions on the surface that yeah. I, yeah. Found, I found more accessible. Um, yeah. Yeah, Steely Dan, you know, I think I could, I think I could grow to really like this. Having said all that, um, maybe I finally broken my Steely Dan jinx to this experience. And something I may come on to later with one of my recommendations for the hundred, but there was a point in the album I suddenly recognised an absolute crossover with an album I adore, which is Ricky Lee Jones' Pirates. Ah, right. And I know she has a lot of connection production-wise, and yeah. I think it would probably be fair to say influence-wise from that. And for the first time, I kind of there was one particular track on there. I I thought, bloody hell, that sounds like an outtake from Pirates, and I, I, I you know, Pirates came after, so I think. You know, I could hear that yeah. influence playing into to her stuff. Um, but again, Ricky Lee Jones, I found something very human and emotional mm. and emotional and uh, endearing, charming, whatever, that I can never quite get through on the Steely Dan. Um, however, sort of amazing guitar solos and the very clever drumming and you know, it's all... So I, I don't know. But having said all that, I would, I would say, yes, I can hear that it would deserve to be in a, a hundred. You know, it's it's obviously like a, a quality thing, but it doesn't necessarily connect with me. Okay, so number number three, I think the UK number five in the U, uh, US. Sorry, number three, in the, sorry, three in the US, five in the UK. My apologies. Um, mm. so sort of your transatlantic success, three big hit singles, um, yeah. Peg, Deacon Blues, and and Jose. Uh, and you know, from that, you're right. There's a lot of kind of whatever you think of the album. There's a lot of influences mm. coming away from that. A lot of people mm-hmm. have literally been in there and picked pieces out or used them to help yeah. them sort of further their career and stuff. So yeah. again, one of these acts that, you know, it's hard to separate the record, which I guess is what we're primarily here to do. And also the influence mm. that the records had yeah. um, or the band have had, which feels quite a lot, I think for Steely Dan. Um, Massive. Yeah. Maybe come back to, to that when we have a vote on it. Um, George, what's your take, mate? Uh, it's as smooth as a baby's neatly. Yeah. Uh, powdered backside it's uh, I like Steely Dan uh, but if you'd have just taken 
the, the three big records from it, the, you know, Deacon Blues, Josie, and one of the greatest earworms in history, Peg, mm. a track which uh, Walter Becker doesn't even play on. Right. It, it, it would it would already be a cracking album, but it's the first, again, it's, this is another one of these albums, it's the first time I've heard it in years. So I was expecting it to be, to connect with me more than it actually did. Uh, I liked it, you know, back in the, the 80s when I first heard it, you know, I heard it as a, you know, a teenager back in probably about 84, but by the time I'd be listening to, to Chris and, you know, uh, friends again and things like that. Uh, so, can, I just ask you, can I just ask a quick question? Because something struck me in a slightly, slightly horrible way today. Uh, the song Peg, which you mentioned, I realised that it's not a song I'm ever aware of hearing, but there is a Friends Again song that yeah. seems to kind of, well, you could say rip off that. Did I inadvertently rip off? Because um, I think it was me that wrote the paper. Happy to pause the recording at the moment, Chris, if yeah, you want. For copyright issues. <laughs> I think it might be wise. I'm now questioning, I thought, well, I thought I wrote that bit, but maybe James Grant the yeah, massive Steve Dunn sneaked that bit in, and I didn't even notice. Yeah, he's got the cross over the Gary. Oh, massive! Oh yeah, they they had some great yeah run-ins with Gary. Definitely them, definitely them. Fagan, yeah. It's I love I love Steely Dan, but it just I actually when I when I after listening to this, I went back and listened to Can't Buy a Thrill, and I much prefer that album. Man, it's a much better album. There's great. Great songs in it as well. Right. This one's Sonic. Is, because, is that because it's his debut album? Do you think you know that kind of you know so many great debut albums comes out? But they have two singers on that first album. They do. Uh, yeah. Palmer singing as well. He sings dirty work on that first one. It's it's a very different feel. Um. So. Uh, but, but you've got Michael McDonald on Asia. You do, and he's that he provides. You know some of the the, the greatest uh, blue-eyed backing vocals I've ever heard in a song when he hits those high notes and peg. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's got so many legends involved in it: Bernard Purdy and Steve Gadd, the drummers, uh, Larry Carlton playing on it. But there was something about it. It was, uh, although I enjoyed listening back to it, I was like, no, nah, I, I need to go back and listen to Can't. Uh, can't buy a thrill because I, I do prefer that Steely Dan. It's a wee bit less polished. Uh, whether okay. it makes it in the hundreds, ah, possibly because of these three songs: Deacon Blues, Josie, and Peg, and the title track. Those those songs probably swing it into the hundred, but I wouldn't. As long as Can't Buy a Thrill is in that top hundred somewhere. I'm okay with that. Well, it's not at the moment, so that's, that's interesting. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That is a fucking. Use your vote in, George. Use your vote in. Nah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to save it for. I'm going to save it for something really left. Yeah, and but, I'll, I'll make it a compilation just to piss John off. I call Bob a compilation live album. Uh, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, live, live compilation. Yeah. So that's fine. This is 40, min- 40 minutes long, so it is very much for sweet spot, I think, for length. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah you know, there's eight songs on it, around about five minutes each. So they do stretch them out a little bit, but not, you know, that yeah. is a bit that jazz rocky. It, it, it did get 
moved into kind of yacht rock, didn't it? They ended up categorizing it into that world, which became a little bit of a a sort of criticism, really, if you were in there. Um, I quite like yacht rock. I've got easy listening. I love Boys Skaggs, you know, give me Boys Skaggs. I hope there's a Boys Skaggs album in there. Not yet, mate. Not yet. Um, (laughs) One of my one of my favorite ever records is actually classed as yacht rock. You know, Um, City to City. Jerry Rafferty. Oh, Jerry Rafferty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that, and I don't know why, but it is, so. Um, well, to Greed go. by Boy Skaggs, that's, that's one of the greatest Yacht Rock albums of all time. You do shuffle. Fantastic. Stephen, what's your take on Steely, Dan? Strange one. I don't know if it's my age. I think I just missed them, mm-hmm. and I've never really caught up. I've been trying this week and listening, 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 and I love it. You know, but I, I don't think I'm qualified at the minute to make a justified decision on it. You know, but, okay. but I'm going to have to. But I'm going to have to. <laughs> you are indeed. We're going to take you in uh, a second. So, uh, so it wouldn't have been something back in the day, but but going back to it now, it, it's quite impressive. Is that your take on that? Oh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Right. As as retrospective, yeah, it's something I wish I'd heard years ago. Mm. You know, but it's one of those ones you slipped the net. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. Um, because there was so much happening mm. at that time. There were so many bands going flying at you. You could not possibly catch them all. No. That's very true, especially as Chris said. We were, I think we were all kind of, I certainly was in that time where, you know, things were changing. But um, if mm. I'm being honest with you, I, mean, I loved all the punk stuff, but I also loved ELO and guys like that. Well, guys, they were, all, they were all huge at that time, you know, so. We were going to the yeah. same stuff. I know yeah, I'm, absolutely. I've, I've, I've been out one, one day and bought ELO pistols in Russian one day. Mm. Yeah, but go, mate. There's three, for, three for the list. Yeah. What I said, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so again, Stephen, you know, bit of a fan. Um, are you edging towards putting it on, do you think? I'm edging towards putting it in. The more I hear it, okay. the more I hear it, I think, oh, my God, that's pretty damn good. Well, a couple of things just to finish then, then we'll go around on it. Um, so uh, they could potentially, you like this one, they could have had Chevy Chase as their drummer. Really? 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 Um, They were all at the same college together and played in a number of bands around that time, including the kind of first band that Becker and Fagan kind of got together and uh, Chase played a few times with them, but he obviously Mm. moved on to be doing sort of um, theatre and acting and then did what he did. So there you go. But seemingly he's a bit of a drummer, seemingly. Um, And uh, also there's a great cover of Deacon Blues by Bill Callahan and uh, Bonnie Prince on one of the two records I can't remember which one but um, it's really good very much what you'd expect them to do so downbeat and what have you which is great I mentioned Michael McDonald and Jeff Baxter who of course became the Doobie Brothers um, off the back of all this which again is a bit of a CV and uh, the earworm George you mentioned of course became the sample I know I know I know from De La Soul which I think we probably all know want to sing it Lisa? No, nope, nope. not tonight. Not tonight. Nah, the, my voice was terrible last week. It's going to be worse this year. Can't this. be worse than mine. Okay, uh, so, you know, there is a lot of stuff around. There's a lot of great artists that, that you know, have tipped their hat to them. There's a lot of great artists came out of it. Um, a lot of great artists played with them. So, you know, there is a, there is an awful lot of love for them around the, the industry. But um, up to us to decide whether it was on the list or not. Um, so, I will go Lisa. Yes or no? You find this um, hard, Lisa, don't you? I, I do find this hard. 
And I, I, I do, Steve was saying earlier, I just don't feel qualified to. You are, though, you're a listener. Correct. That's it. End of. You're qualified. I know, I know, but I can see why they probably. I know. Do, do, do. <laughs> I can see why they probably should go in. Um, What's your gut feeling? As, as Chris said, is it, it's just too polished for me, and just. I'm not going to say it was sterile because it's not sterile, but it just, there was just maybe maybe it's just his vocals don't lift it. I I, I can't tell. Um, it's no. like looking out. <laughs> in or out, no. Lisa. I'm not putting it in. It's out. Okay. Thank you. I shouldn't be going on because I'm worried. I'm running out of wine here, so we better hurry up. Okay. You can get another glass. Uh, so that was an all from Lisa. Chris? Uh, now, with the caveat, going back to what George said about, I think it was the first album. Yeah. Can't, can't get a thrill. Yeah. Uh, can't buy th now, if that's a better album, then maybe that should be an in place of it. It should be. That, yeah. Um, the other caveat or question is, is this my hundred or is this a sense of me trying to, which I've, I've just sort of noticed, I know it's late in the day, game halfway through, but like, <laughs> uh, am I trying to sort of give a view based on a, you know, a sense of, you know, a, a musical community, in which case I would say it's in, but if it was my very personal hundred. Your choice. My, right, well, it wouldn't, wouldn't be in my personal hundred, but I would substitute certain things that are like it. For example, the Ricky Lee Jones would go in. Okay. But so it's it's out for me then that basis. It's out. Chris, that's Chris, yeah. that's that's how I have to vote things because I'm not quite yeah. as knowledgeable as everyone right. else. So it very right. much that's... is based on Yeah, your take. I'm hearing. Yeah, okay. Good. That's reassuring. Thank you. Uh George. Uh as I say, Can't Buy a Thrill is probably a better album. That's no problem. It is a better album for me anyway. But because the band's named after a sex toy, I'm putting it in. <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> um, a revolutionary steam dildo. Lord. To be precise. Um, so that's a yes. Um, just like, my audio, I'm not sure if my audio broke up there, but did you say a steam? A steam a dildo? Revolutionary a revolutionary steam, steam yeah. dildo. Steam. Steam. Yeah. I, thought, I thought that's what you said, right? Okay. Steam power. Steam powers. Not steel, steam. Okay. Nice. I'm glad that yeah. was for my time. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I'm not going to Google that. I'll just accept. No. Yeah, because that'll be on your search. <laughs> exactly, yeah. On your search. Okay. Um, Steve, okay. Stephen, let's move on quickly. Stephen. Yes. It's a yes, mate. Okay. Uh, yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. A yes and a yes. Was that what you said? That's three yeses. Yes. Three yeses, okay. Oh, hell yes. Um, so John was a yes. Uh, and uh, I'm a yes. So I would I would argue can't buy a thrill. And we may, I guess, end up chucking it on the, the, the pile down the line somewhere. Nothing to say they can't have two last. But I do think the upsides are, are much more than the down. And um, it's probably one of these records. I think if I played it once a week for the rest of my life, I'd probably love it more mm. and more, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, off another day. Okay, cool. Steely Dan is uh, is a yes. Okay, we are moving on to number sixty-two. Got two to go, guys. Uh, sixty-two is Guns N' Roses with Appetite for Destruction. Okay, big deep breath. The biggest selling debut album of the eighties 
Appetite hit the metal scene like an asteroid, bringing the grit and fury of 70s rock back to a mainstream hard rock scene that was starved for something real. Indiana bred Axl Rose's Five Alarm Yowl, bowled over listeners. Guitarist Slash gave the, pa- the band blues emotion and punk energy, while the rhythm section brought the funk on hits such as Welcome to the Jungle. When all the elements came together, as in the final two minutes of Paradise City, Guns N' Roses left all other 80s metal bands in dust and they knew it too. Quote, a lot of rock bands are too fucking wimpy to have any sentiment or any emotion, Rose said, unless they're in pain. Okay, that's the Rolling Stones summary. Uh, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, released in July 87. Okay. Go, George. Let's have it, mate. This is the single greatest hard rock debut album of all time. It's fucking awesome. I've loved this since I first heard it. I had a tape of this album and I played it out. It was, I walked about London with this in my wee Walkman, fucking head going. These guys were absolute punk. I was talking to Chris on Saturday about it and uh, we mentioned Guns N' Roses and I was I just like, I can't wait to talk about this one. I, I love this album so much and listening back to it. I'm going for wine. Yeah, okay, no problem. It was so enjoyable listening back to this. It's not aged badly at all. Forget the three big hits, the Sweet Child of Mine, Paradise City, and Welcome to the Jungle. They, they, they're on their own. Songs like They're Out to Get Me, pure metal paranoia, uh, Night Train, It's So Easy, Mr. Brownstone. It's a band who were top of their game. They, every one of those guys brought something to the table. And the, the the collective is greater than the sum of all its parts. That what they missed when after this album, it's the only album that all of those guys were on. Because mm-hmm. they got rid of their drummer not long after this. He was too much of a fuck up, Stephen Adler. Mm-hmm. But they were never as good after this album as they were when they had Stephen Adler playing drums. And they ended up hiring Matt Sorum from uh, the cult. They, they took him to a ranch somewhere in Colorado and uh, and they said, look, we want you to be our, our new drummer. And Soren was like, well, I'm, I'm in the cult and I love being in the cult. But And they went, do you like this ranch? And they went, yeah, I love it. And they went, it's yours. Sign the, <laughs> sign the dotted line. So they gave him a fucking ranch. To do. That's how big these guys became. Uh, but they were a band that sort of, they, they crossed the boundaries, of, you know, the appeal boundaries. I knew a couple of Essex boys who were into the shaman and fucking Happy Mondays who were Guns N' Roses fanatics mm. because of this album. Mm. Uh, they demoed the album with Manny Charlton of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they, then they recorded the album in the captain's studio, the captain of the captain in Tennille. They recorded it in his fucking studio, uh, and you know I, I I just I love this album. It's 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 in in my own personal top twenty albums of all time, and I was so glad it was it's it's in here. It's to quote the critics don't like it. It's not a critics' choice album, but to quote Axl Rose himself, I see you standing there. You think you're so cool. Why don't you just fuck off? <laughs> Absolutely love that. 
Lovely. Brilliant. You, it was huge. Interestingly, it took a long time to become huge. It was one of those yeah. slow burners that released and then they went and toured it to death and then they got some radio play. And the thing that broke them was they were badgering MTV, which of course was, was mega at the time, to play the videos. But a lot of the MTV stuff was a little bit, you know, racing stuff for MTV. They wouldn't play them and they ended up playing, I think it was Welcome to the Jungle. They ended up playing it at five o'clock in the morning on MTV once. They allowed them one play of it at five o'clock in the morning and the, the feedback that they got from it was so big that they then had to put it on the roster and then after that it became well the 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 song welcome to the jungle was actually used in the last dirty harry movie the very last dirty harry movie the song was used right at the start and it's it's for a video and there's there's an actor in his first, right, it's his first movie singing the song as if he's Axel Rose and the actor's Jim Carrey. All right. Uh, yeah. In the very last Dirty Harry movie, he sings uh, Welcome to the Jungle. He mimes it. And, and, and there's another uh, wee bit of trivia for this. There's a link between this album and uh, McEwen's Sweetheart Stout. Remember Sweetheart yeah. Stout? Yes. There's a, there's a direct link from this album to Sweetheart oh. Stout. Because the woman on the the remember used to be a woman on it, a fifties kind of woman on the the um, on the can, on yeah. the can, yeah. That is the mother of Erin Erin uh, Everly, who was married to uh, uh, one of the uh, Everly brothers. It's Don, and Don her, Everly's daughter, isn't it? Don Everly's daughter is Sweet of mine. So they, All right. Me. There's your trivia link for the night. Eh? Uh, yeah, you mate. You've done. You've, listen, you've emptied it. Emptied it there, big time. I said, I'm, I'm, out, I'm. Moses, <laughs> appetite for destruction. I brought the big guns. You know? Brought the big guns. Well, that's a, that's a resounding yes, I think. Um, Absolutely. Well, maybe it'll feel the love as we rattle around this one then. So, um, I Steve, doubt it, but I would. Yes. <laughs> Stephen, what, what's your, are you jumping on that? Bandwagon oh, this, oh, this is going. This is going to be a quickie. I can't follow George up for his eloquence, but um, I absolutely adore this album. There's no ifs, buts, what's, whys, or annals about it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just love it. Every, every time I get it, go my plums get bumping. It's just. <laughs> See, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not a big metalhead. I'm not a. I'm not no, a oh, neither am I. 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 Mod, yeah. but this yeah. album just gets gets me every time. Wonderful bit of work. Yeah, okay, I'd agree with that entirely. Okay, Lisa, let's keep going. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's a great album, definitely. Okay. I, I, um, when that came out, it, what, it really wasn't what I was listening to at all, but I was obviously very aware of it. Um, and like George said, a lot of my friends that were into other stuff were really into Guns N' Roses. And I think that's because we'd, we'd got away a bit from this of big hair mm. metal. Mm. Yeah. And it, it, it got a bit a bit more rough. And I can I can hear a bit of punk in this album as well. Mm. You know? Yes, absolutely. So I completely agree with that. Yeah. There's a real sort of punk underlying kind of current there. Um, well, Duff, Duff Mac as well. There's a, bit of grunge. There's a bit of grunge in yeah, there as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Total, total grunge. Duff McLagan was he was in a punk band. Um, 
uh, late 70s, early 80s, before he obviously got into to the early sort of heavy rock scene. So you're, you're dead right. I think they all came from that. And one of the things I was going to call out was the um, the covers album that they've done, um, Spaghetti Incident. If you yeah. haven't listened to it, it's outstanding. Yeah, yeah it's good. Outstanding. Um, because they take, all, they, they, they take an homage to um, The Damned and uh, the New York Dolls and a whole bunch of people. And they just play them straight and the new they play new rows and it's like two minutes, twenty seconds or something and off again. And uh you know, I think they very much kept that attitude coming through their records, even when they became sort of more heavy rock and stuff. So yeah, well, right. I could, I, did, I could hear that coming through and and I'll be honest, it's not a record I listen to. Yeah. Um I, I tend to remember the hits and I also have to confess that when I hear when the guitar starts, it sweeps out of mine. I'm just like off out of here. But that's that's probably just purely overplay for me. Um, yeah. I, I I have enjoyed listening to the album. Um, and I think they've achieved something pretty incredible considering they were fucked up at the time. And but then I mean, there was loads of bands. They're not they're not the only band to be out there partying and tearing it up and producing a good no, album. Not at um, all. They're, yeah. prob- they're probably the only band that the drummer and the singer were sleeping with the same person at the same time in the studio and they subsequently mm-hmm. recorded some of them making out and it's on the record. So well, oh, not, many, not, not many bands doing that, I don't think. Well, how, I, I can, how do you know I, that? I, I, listen, no. I, know, I know from the horse's mouth there's a band from Greenock and Gurok that's <laughs> over a woman. And it was the same. It was a, it was the the singer and the bassist. So, right. but I I see no more. Nothing Allegedly, Yeah. So I, um, I know that because uh, one of our friends I know on Twitter. Because I know all three of them, the women and the two guys. <laughs> one if you of don't our, have one... a big fallout over a woman, they can't oh, call no. a proper band. You're not you know, a band, are you? So, um, <laughs> so they both had both the same girlfriend for a while, and in effect, the girlfriend slept with Axel Rose to annoy the drummer Steve Adler and uh, they ended up having sex in the studio and somebody recorded it and it's on the last song Rocket Queen and the reason I know all that was I knew a little bit of it but um, one one of our Twitter (laughs) friends um, John uh, Carol Jungleboy he he gives us snippets and stuff so thanks for that mate I did did ask him who recorded it I I couldn't tell me that so did they split up over her well, they, he left the band not too long after. I was kicked out the bands because he was a, a mad yeah. drug addict. But yeah. this, this band split up, so that is rock and roll. So number one Billboard, I think it's still the best-selling debut album ever in America. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it was 147 weeks in the chart. Um, after it hit the charts, it stayed in for another 147 weeks. So it's a, it's a chunky boy. Chris, what can you add to that, mate? Oh dear! <laughs> <laughs> gonna, well, you need you need a contrary opinion. I mean, I'll be the outlier. Of course, we do. I'll be the outlier. I ooh, where to start? Um, I think maybe the the thing that caught my attention, which I had no idea about, was they they considered um, uh, Paul Stanley from Kiss for production. Now that's my kind of into maybe why I don't like this record, but I could not stand Kiss. I don't like Kiss. Never have liked Kiss. But, no, right, so yeah. okay. So please bear with me. Was I, I? I appreciate this record. Just passed me by. You know, I didn't have the experience of wandering around London with my headphones. It, you know, but I can see. You know, I could have gone down that route. 
but the, my complete antipathy to things like Kiss and that old tradition of kind of cartoon-like American heavy mm -hmm. rock bands. Um, I think that's what I'm detecting in Guns N' Roses that really puts me off. But having said that, I've listened to the album for the first time in years. In fact, I don't think, I've never listened to it as an album before. I've just mm -hmm. heard the singles. And my overriding takeaway is I find uh, Axl Rose's vocal extremely histrionic, hysterical, and unappealing. Um, it's a sort of cartoon version of, of, of America. I am fascinated by the bad behavior. So I'm being sucked in a little bit, even having this discussion. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm now a bit more intrigued against some yeah. of the, but it's, um, overall it's a no for me, but I think there's more for me to explore. I just, I just don't, I just don't really warm to this um, very hyped up, heavy version of heavy rock, or generally, um, as I say, Kiss is the sort of point I go, yeah. oh shit, Kiss. Yeah, I, I can't Kiss. I know, well, I'd say I, there's something tainted by an association, which I didn't even know, I'll be honest, didn't know it was, there was an association, but, but, but that's trying to make me. feel quite show busy, those the Kiss yeah. and Motley yeah. Crue, there's a show busy element to yes. them, mm. but if I don't get that, I get a more of a punk vibe. From yeah, I get that, yeah, I see where you're coming from, because I... I detected, I think, George, you might have mentioned to me when you, you said how much you loved this on Saturday. Yeah. And yeah, I think you mentioned the Stooges. Yeah. As a, as a, and I could hear that in it, but I'm much more drawn to the Stooges. I yeah. can see yeah. they're, they're kind of cousins, but sure. this is a more theatrical. Yeah. The Stooges felt more real. This, and I'm not saying it isn't real, it's just it has that hyper theatrical aspect that has, has a, more than it's somewhere towards Kiss. Than a, and away from the Stooges. In a strange know. way, I think those three big hit records didn't do them any any good. Maybe. Well, but, I I'm living proof of that. Yeah, I kind of find them a bit off putting. And, and, but. and Lisa said, <laughs> as soon as she hears the, the the guitar start, you know, "Sweet Child of Mine," it's like, oh, yeah. enough. And I think it was just yeah. overkill. Yeah. So much. So, yeah. When something becomes that popular, it, it can be off putting. Yeah. Uh, it, for me, I, I fast forwarded those tunes because I'm yeah. like, I've heard them so much, I don't need to yeah. listen to them again. Yeah. Uh, but when I listen to, you know, It's So Easy, Mr. Brownstone, they're out to get me. I was like, yeah, yeah fuck, That's this good. is yeah. why I love this in the first well, place. The, the tracks that caught my ear were ones I wasn't familiar with, like Night yeah. Train. I, I, I really loved Night Train. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a great song. So the, you're right. The other ones are so familiar. It's kind yeah. of like overkill, kind of MTV Absolutely. generation. So it's interesting. I, I, I it's interesting you say I, the. Oh, sorry, yeah. Chris. I was going to say, uh, case I forget. It's interesting you mentioned the um, the Eggy Stooges connection there because they do cover raw power on the oh, Spaghetti yeah. Incident. Ah, okay. Well, I'm liking um, them a wee bit more again. It's, yeah. yeah it's, so it's, they're, they're, so you're right. There is a there's a, a theatre for want of a better word um, uh, to them. But they uh -huh. when they started, it wasn't like that. The I think uh -huh. George's comments a fair one that obviously yeah. became theatrical because of how yeah. big they became and some of the yeah. issues that came off the back okay. of that but they were pretty right. punky when they uh -huh. when they started yeah. well I, yeah. I think i would definitely go back and listen again because it some of the things here are giving me more of the where they were mm -hmm. coming from some of the things that have been said would you have uh, a classic I mean, rock like would you in your head is there like a classic rock record that you would say actually that's that's the way a a, a great rock or heavy rock record should sound like is that Something you would have? Uh, not particularly. It's not not yeah. not a genre I particularly like. This whatever the stray's into. Once it, 
I mean, I didn't even like Led Zeppelin at the time. I, mm. Again, it was that sort of crossover. Some people were into punk and there was yeah, kind of silly barriers that tended to spring up around things. You tended to stay in, in your area you and try to yeah. like it. Yeah, it's more tri yeah. tribal. Uh, things like Zep, Zep, I do like a lot now. It's sort of grown into it, but you're, you're um, what the band's um, Rainbow and... Mm. White you know, snake and all that. that white right? snake and all that kind of stuff just left me cold. Rush, uh, rush, rush. I mean, I've got a very good friend doing it. See Rush many of the times at the Apollo. <laughs> We've they, had this chat, Chris. No absolutely. Names. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, um, but yeah. yeah, I was like, no, no, we're going to see the Buscocks. You're going to see Rush. That's. I can work, I can put the mute button on this. You know, it's a it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think. Um, I, I think it's interesting to get that perspective, and it's exactly why we do this because it's very rare that we have a slam dunk record. Nearly yeah, always, no, at least one obviously is not too sure about that. So you're perfectly right to, to challenge it. I think mm -hmm. a, a wee bit of slay down actually. I think maybe there's mm -hmm. more in it. The more you, mm -hmm. the more you dip, you dip yeah. into it, and yeah, you know, like like many many records, that's that's true. Yeah, it's, true. You're always yeah. wary of condemning something, and I can hear this is a record that I could I could end up loving if I persevered with it. Fifty three minutes long, so it's getting a wee bit toppy, but um I think there's eleven tracks I think on it, so it's you know it's probably still strong enough to to kinda of hang in. There's sixty four percent Twitter was yes. So they were giving us a bit of a hard time on, on these five. Um but they um they, they were fine to back that one. Uh, I don't have much more to add really talked about how big it was. Um I like the fact that when they were touring this the uh actual Rosie got arrested. Somewhere in Central America, I can't remember, Midwest or somewhere, pre-gig. Yeah, basically had a fight with the bouncers and stewards and got arrested before the gig, but they just sent a roadie on to do the gig. <laughs> really? Wow. Just did the whole gig, right? And, uh, and yeah. as far as far as I had the notice, to be honest, <laughs> which I miss a bit of worry for Axel. Stick on the bandana. and Yeah. yeah. And also kind of PPS to all that back to our, our previous podcast. Uh, you mentioned the the producers there and they also mm -hmm. considered getting Mutt Lang right. to do it. And mm -hmm. we're not particular fans of Mutt Lang yeah. on the podcast yeah. because of the ACDC um, yeah. Metallica yeah. connection. And also, mm -hmm. uh, George, I was thinking of you, mate. So they did a co-headline tour with Metallica in uh, mm -hmm. I think it was 92, I think, so. Well, the, they, they had by the time they got to 92 they'd started becoming the kind of cartoon band that Chris had talked yeah. about there and that video November Rain if you want to see like 90s excess that's the one that's the one of my favourite videos of all time the song's fucking murder right it's awful but the video is just so over the top it's, it's it's almost as good as Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler. The heart. They're the two best videos that. of those years. They're the best of the 80s, best of the 90s. Fucking you know, love them. Do you know it's the, I think it's the longest ever top 10 song, November Rain. Is it? Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a terrible song. It's so eight, fucking... eight minutes and 50 seconds. Oh, 57 too seconds. much, but the, the video is brilliant. I'd urge anyone who's not seen the video to watch the video and try not to piss your pants. So last thing about uh, really? sort of things we learn uh, before yeah. we go and piss your pants. Uh, so <laughs> I, I didn't know this. So there was a potential libel copyright challenge. I don't know, George, I don't know if you've heard this before. To Sweet Child of Mine, which I genuinely didn't know until I was doing a, a quick kind of read up on on tonight, by uh, a song called uh, "Unpublished Critics" by a band called Australian Crawl. Mm -hmm. 
and went and spotify that as you do and had a listen and it's, it's surprisingly like much 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 closer to this whole ed sheeran marvin gay thing that's going on just now right, oh, right? okay that nonsense properly yeah. to the point where yeah. duff mcclagan heard it and says bloody hell you know it's <laughs> so he said he said i genuinely had never heard that before and i'm, I'm sure that's okay. the case but um but yeah like very 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 similar like it's most, subli most of the song yeah um yeah and they're kind of from the same sort of mid to late 80s time in australia so it's like, it's like that rod, uh, rod stewart one do you think i'm sexy and he basically just stole the, the whole tune from this uh, uh brazilian tune uh right. called taj mahal it's like know, it's wow. it's absolutely do you think i'm sexy and he, ended he, up he having, got away with it didn't he I think. No, I, no i put his hands up and went oh i didn't realize but he, he, all the royalties went to unicef ah, right. I think, okay. after that okay. so ah, yeah. rod's way out yeah okay cool so um let's rattle around then um i'll start with john this time john is don't let me misquote john because he'll have me john is a yes to guns and roses oh, surprising yeah, a little bit too. Um, I thought you would. Uh, Chris? Uh, it's a no from me. No from Chris. Steve? Yeah, I'll go with a Twitter 46. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm tearing up my bathers records, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised because I could hear yeah. a lot of the bathers. Uh, yeah, that's great. I know, I know. Indeed. <laughs> Stephen. It's the vocals, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Take me down to Kelvin Grove, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, oh, again, right? Uh, surprisingly, I want that in. You're a yes, mate. Of course you are, Lisa. Lisa. I know. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm doing my usual. <laughs> George. Despite, despite, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Don't rush me. I've been very good tonight. I haven't gone yeah. on too much. Yeah. Um, I've been a couple of tracks in that that I thought were like really mediocre. I think. I'm going to vote it in. Cool. And George, you're, you're in love, right? So. Well, it was. Absolutely. Okay, we're five and one, five and one there. Sorry, Chris, mate. That one goes yeah, in. Fair enough. We'll see. We'll get back on. You can be yeah. in the for us. Yeah. See if it changes. Yeah, I might persevere with it. Absolutely. Okay. So what, at least you've missed Metallica. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Bullet, yeah. Lucky that went downhill. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Okay, so we're downhill yeah. here, guys. Last one to, right. to finish mm -hmm. uh, on 61. So another one straight out of um, Chris's songbook. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Eric B and Rakeem with Paid in oh, Full. Oh, 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 so, um, <laughs> thanks, Stephen. Ice Grilled, Laid Back, Diamond Sharp. Rakeem was the 80s greatest rapper, and this album is the record that cemented his legend. Paid in Full was one of the first hip-hop records to fully embrace 70s funk samples on stone hip-hop classics such as I know you got soul, and I ain't no joke. With a stark, chill, declamatory flow that broke from the sing-songy style of most rapping at the time, Rakeem moved hip-hop from stories around the world of, of the hood to ones about the mind. Eric B built the title track out of a luscious sample bassline, and Rakeem recounted days of poverty when he had nothing but sweat inside my hand, a problem solved by this debut's platinum success. So that's the last one tonight, guys. Eric B and Rakeem, which was released in July 87. So we'll um, we'll get a, wee, a bit of speed on this one. Um, Stephen, you were absolutely shouting about that one there. So come on then, Eric B. I've, I've got the very functional, very short and sharp. I, I I don't like it. I really don't like it. Um, 
I don't want to get any semantics or details or all that. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not for me. So it's not for okay, me. Okay, that's simple. You, you don't like yeah, you it. You're out. Okay, yeah. perfect. Out, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go other end. Chris, what do you think of Eric being Rakeem? I... <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't go first on that one. Um, yeah, I find it, I mean, I've listened to it, I, I can't, I've no sense of having listened to it. It just, it was so sort of bland, generic, it just went over my head. I just, you know, again, I, I checked with a couple of pals, I said, what, and they said, oh, I love it. No, it, <laughs> a couple of listens, and no, I, it's fine. Again, it's not really a genre I listen to a lot of, so I didn't have a handle, but. And the pals that you asked, the pals you asked, would they be they be sort of fans of hip hop rap? Uh, no, just just music fans, you right. know. Um, again, well, it was it was Callum who who do, who loves Steely Dan sneakily, as he put it. Uh, he he's also he's oh, I love I love uh, Eric B. Yeah, um, but no, it just I, I say I can barely remember what it sounded like. It just sounded so kind of generic to me. Well, it, it came from a, the genre it came from or created was called Golden Age Hip Hop. Um, mm. So it actually became massively influential, I think mainly from the sort of New York scene. Um, and, and a lot of the bands that came through that, you know, you probably would start to pick up on some of that going, actually, do you know what? Quite like this mm. and quite like that. So this was a debut album. I think we mentioned this on the last record. They, they had no money and they got a recording deal and they basically had so much time to make the record. Uh, and that's what they've done. So they sort of, you know, crammed their time, probably sounds familiar, Chris, you know, to to get a debut record out there um, to the point where uh, he was rapping his lyrics straight off a sheet as he was sort of writing them. Uh, but perversely, it looks as if that's one of the reasons it became so iconic because it was so different. And um, some of what they were doing was, um, was a lot flatter or a lot more, was a lot less in it than some of that sort of the, the lot the noise um sort of hip hop rap that was around at the time. So um almost by accident I think they, they kind of they, they they created some of this. Um and they ended up part of that whole uh, uh, Rick Rubin, Def Jam world and some of the guys that, that were connected through that as well became pretty powerful. But um, but if you don't get it mate you don't get it that's that's why we're um, on. So never say never but yeah so yeah. far. Recording one week um and very much, I think George might come in here, but very much um, mm -hmm. the guys who started to put kind of you know heavy sampling into mm -hmm. to kind of hip hop and rap. Well, um, so the, the, this is you know you an album nineteen eighty seven it came out mm -hmm. literally I think it's about within about a week or two of Appetite for Destruction. That's correct. So yeah. both of these albums came out within about a fortnight of each other. Wow. Uh, and this is like they're. they're two polar opposites. Uh -huh. uh, I found it engagingly straightforward. But a lot of hip-hop we've been listening to on this has been laden like a 50-dish buffet, you know. It's like yeah. tons of samples and you're like wading through hundreds and hundreds of different samples yeah. and, and they're wearing their influences really, you know, bold and bright, whereas... Eric B and Rakim, it's like we've got maybe two samples on this. We've got we've got a beat, and we've got a sample, and that's it. And we're just going to rap. And back in those days, I think you, you stood or fell by the quality of your beats and your rhymes. Uh, and I know you get soul. They borrowed that for the the Bobby Bird uh, 1971 cut to the same name, and it was later used 
think the year after, been bars and pump up the volume. So it was like listening to it again, I'd forgotten about this. And it was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Um, whether I liked it, I can't say I did, to be honest with you. What I did like about it, the thing I liked probably most about it was uh, the the Yamaha DX7. I can't remember which song it was, but there's a, there's a Yamaha DX7 keyboard playing on it. And I was like, I remember those sounds. I remember this. We had one, and we were like, pissing about with it at the time. So at the same time as Eric B and Rakim were doing their stuff, my band was like playing with the same samples and the same sounds. So uh, it sounded very different, of course. <laughs> but, you're, uh, you're probably very close to getting on the list, to be fair, George. Aye, yeah, we didn't yeah. record a proper album as such, so that's probably knocked us out the, the, the hundreds. So. You should have done a live um, album. I've got that one. I was going to say, if you have a live concert, we'll record it. I've got live at the Barrowland on a tape somewhere, but that's... that's, that's yeah. right. So these guys, so these guys, Golden Age Hip Hop, um, so we're, and sitting in there, you've got Ellie Cool, cool J, you've got uh, Run, Run DMC, you got the Beastie Boys. I like Run DMC. I did like Run DMC and I like the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, you know, the, 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 the company's pretty good. I the Beastie Boys. I worked briefly for the Beastie Boys. Very uh, briefly. Uh, do you want to give us context to that? I, I worked for EMI Records in London uh, when Paul's Boutique came out and I was I was working between right. the, the mail room and the publicity room and I was, uh, I was sending out copies of Paul's Boutique and all the the junk that went with it, and nobody wanted it. Nobody was interested in it. I was trying to get people interested in the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique, and now, however many years later, it's considered a classic, and Indeed. albums are changing hands for like 50, 60 quid a pop. I had hundreds of them. Couldn't have given them away. And I'm not entirely sure the Beastie Boys are on the list, to be honest. I haven't checked through that yet, but I didn't see them that jumping out at me. Oh yeah, a license to L maybe. There's, there's certainly there's, 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 yeah, there's an argument there for sure. Eric, besides the point, uh, Eric being Rakim, no, no for me. Okay, I don't have much more to add. That it wasn't particularly huge at the time commercially. Um, number fifty eight Billboard. It did have five hit singles eventually. So as the album started coming through, wow. the uh, Eric B's president and obviously paid in full and. Um, I know you got Soul, which was the the sample, and uh, and all all those sort of things became really influential. A wee bit like uh, Appetite for Destruction, George, where came yeah. out didn't do an awful lot, and then as people started to hear Steam it, they yeah. steamrolled a bit. Um, but they didn't have a sort of big career off the back of it. They made a couple of records, and then sort of done their own stuff, and ended up falling out a bit on money and things that you do, I guess. But um, yeah, okay, um, not much more to add to that. I think um, I think it's kind of a nice way to finish on the basis that. You know, we can't we can't effuse over everything that we listen to, good or bad. Sometimes it's just a record that we hear and we have a view on it and we yeah. sort of move on again. So, um, cool. Let's just, um, uh, with Twitter, we're 73% no. Let's just checking what the guy said. So, again, um, probably getting a bit, a bit tired, Lisa. Right. right. Oh, sorry. Good. Lisa, my apologies. Um, I was just, you said something earlier there and I totally forgot to come back to you. So, are you with Twitter on this? 73% no? What you've been saying to me is really, she just talks shite, so we'll not even bother with what she says. No, I, me- no, I, I messaged you and told you to come on the chat tonight, didn't I? <laughs> right, I'll be quick. Right, I'll be Go really then. quick. Um, well, I might not, just to piss you off. <laughs> um, 
so when when hip hop really started like hitting our shores, um, I think I was at I was at Edinburgh Uni and you know started to listen to it. It was like getting played in the clubs, and then I dropped out, moved to London for a while, and was listening to local radio stations. So I was listening to a lot of hip hop. I was really into LL Cool J. Um, I was listening to the likes of Mantronics, which was mm-hmm. um, hip hop, but with a real heavy yeah. electronica feel. Um, so I feel as if Eric B, that's that kind of era, isn't it? Yeah. You know, 87. Yeah. Um, I really like this record. I really do. I, I really do like it. I think it's got really great hooks. It's very, it's very basic mm-hmm. in terms of production, but then that's what hip hop was like at that point. It was quite raw, quite rough, and it moved on from there. I think they were really, really influential. Um, I do love the album. I was bought out the ki- about the kitchen earlier, cooking to it, and I have to say that it, it made me move a lot more than Guns N' Roses, I have to say. Um, but whether I vote it in or not... Okay. No, I, I think it's interesting you like it. Um, I'm just having a look at guys that directly influenced or influenced by them, and I think that all three of them, I think, are coming up. Nas, um, Jay-Z, and uh, the Wu-Tang Clan. I think they've all got albums coming on the list. And they've all did a call out to these guys saying, you know, without them, we wouldn't be doing we what we're doing. It's fucking so... their fault then. <laughs> well. Bastards. Okay. I think within that genre, they were actually quite influential, even yeah. though maybe yes. we are not as familiar. When yeah. um, Rolling Stone reviewed it, they said it was one of um, hip hop's perfect records. So, so it was Eric B was the lyricist, wasn't he? And um, Rakim brought the he brought the the finance he got the oh. finance organized and they brought became the together. They kind of um, and the beats, of course. Um, Eric B was DJ, I think, wasn't he? But you want to um, maybe? So do I want to say you got it? You got it. You do. <laughs> what do you think? Painful. So let's have a let's have a round uh, around Robin on this one to finish then, and then we'll have a wrap up. So uh, let's go with Lisa then, since you were right. No, I I do I, I I get where it's coming from. I was really into that kind of thing at the time. Um, I appreciate the influence, but it's a no. It's a no, Stephen. You were a yes. Is that right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking you're still with us, mate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a resounding no. Um, George? I accept it's really uh, influential and I like how basic it is. Uh, it's, it's a lot more entertaining because of that, but I wouldn't have it in a top 100, no. Okay, Chris? Uh, no, definitely not in the hundreds, no. Okay, I, I'm a no as well. I'm, I'm slightly nervous about this one. I kind of feel as if I go back to it, I'm going to end up liking it more. Um, Keep but, playing it, you will, but it's, it's still mm, not in the top 100. Yeah, and John was a no as well, actually. So surprisingly mm. for the last one, it's the it's only one where we've, we've had all six of his um, um, mm-hmm. vote went out. So we're out there, so let's just summarise that. So that's a no. So I make that. Uh, James Brown was a yes. Outcast was a no. Steely Dam was a yes. Guns N' Roses was a yes. And Eric B. Rakim was a no. So we've got okay. another three on there, which I think gives us 23 out of 40, I think. So now we have to ask Chris for his choice. We do. Substitute. Okay. Um, The floor is yours, Chris. Right. 
I well, it's it was one I was reminded of the Steely Dan was the Ricky Lee Jones album, Pirates, and then I thought Pirates or the debut album, they're both great albums. I'm not. I'll, um, I'll say. I'll say. Uh, I'll say Pirates, though I love them equally. But I'll just say Pirates. I would love to see that on that hundred. So, so why would you say Pirates above the debut album? Uh, what's, what's well, it's got a sort of a, a certain humanity, a humour, a charm. A, it's a very vivid. The lyrics are, are wonderful. The tunes are great. All the all the kind of lovely, amazing playing that's on the Steely Dan record is 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 on Pirates as well. If that's you know. And there's a lot of merit in that, but I think her lyrics are, are more engaging, and her vocals more engaging. You know, the, it's just a beautiful record, full of great, great songs. When was that out, Chris? Uh, now that's it. I would guess about would it be seventy nine, eighty? So that was that a second album then after the yeah, debut? the, the right, first okay. one I think was what seventy eight, maybe mm. the okay. um, Chucky's in Love. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I think the second one was 1980, 79, 80. So that's your final answer. Pirates, final answer, yeah. Ricky Lee Jones. Ricky Lee Jones, Jones. yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, we'll put that on the list. Any questions for Chris on that? No, I'm going to dig it out and have a listen. Yeah, good, good. I, I don't have that. I was listening to the debut album just the other day, believe uh, it or not. So, yeah, did you, um, do you like the debut album? Oh, I love it. Yeah, one yeah, of my favourites yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, it's a bit gloss. Pirates is a bit glossier. Um, okay, but steely, it's, it's a bit steely Dan. It's, it's a wee bit more steely Danified, yeah. <laughs> uh, but in a good way. <laughs> that sounds that sounds all wrong, but um, cool. Now, the, what, now we know. Brilliant. What we we'll do is we'll add that add that to the list. So when we start adding our own submissions later. Chris, the guests will mm. all they'll go on the list. I think from memory, David mm. Ross put Bobby Gentry on, didn't he? Bobby Gentry, yeah. Delta Sweetie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Delta Sweet, sorry. Um, cool, perfect. That's great. Okay, guys, that's brilliant. So, um, before mm-hmm. we finish, uh, just a quick heads up on the next podcast recording. So, our next five for our homework are uh, Van Morrison, Astro Weeks, Stevie Wonder, Talking Book, uh, Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin 4, The Band, The Band. Wow. Again. And uh, Liz Fair, Exile in Guysville. Wow. So, Chris, something. if that, if that, yes. all your boxes, yes. maybe. I think I picked the wrong day. Come back, I've come, you know. a, I've come a week early. But yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Listen, yeah. You, you, you're yeah. always, never a stranger yeah. with us, mate. You'll be but, very yeah, welcome so, at any podcast uh, in the future. Um, lovely. Uh, yeah, it's been lovely to do it. Yeah. So, um, so guys, that's where five for the next time. And mm. uh, obviously, we'll, we'll sort some dates out for that. Quite interesting. Feels as if we're getting to that, that point now where, you know, the vast yeah. majority of the records are killers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Old killer, no filler. So, old killer, no filler. Perfect. Um, Chris, thank you very much again, mate. Really appreciate your time. We're all looking forward Uh, to new record, mate. So, no pressure. uh, Not long now, not long now. Just final final mixes. I'm looking forward to the gig 28th. Yeah, web service. Yeah, good. That that should be should be fun. We're home to get the whole team. We're home to get the whole team to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the after show? Is it and more or something? Somebody no, 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 you decide where it is. Oh, yeah. Fine, okay, I'll, I'll keep you, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, uh, look forward should to be that. good, should be a good night, yeah. Any more for any more guys, should be good with that. Um, I'm hoping to be on a laptop next time and not scramble about my phone with absolutely zero notes or nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're quite small, but you're not that small, are you? So, yeah, we'll get you, yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Lisa, George, you good? Yes, all good. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, guys. As ever. Really okay, great. And, great to uh, see you all. Catch up with you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Take care, everyone. Cheers, Bye-bye.